Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will begin in verse 17 this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, I would direct your attention to the screens. I believe we have a picture there for us. This is a snapshot of what happened in the Rocky Mount Baptist Church Fellowship Hall this past Wednesday. Amen? Let's give the Lord praise. Uh, when, when we originally had this, this idea, now by the way, I'm not just updating Facebook or anything. I'm going to read, read to you something from here. Uh, when we originally had this idea, we, we didn't exactly know uh, that it would go over in the way that it, that it went over. Uh, if you are on Facebook, I would encourage you to go check us out, our church website. And usually when you upload pictures to Facebook, Based upon how many people see it and what they think of it, they'll like or leave comments. And people have been blowing up our church Facebook website page with comments. And just for the legal-minded among us, we did ask the sheriff, and I was about 99% sure, because usually when you do work with inmates or with, with students, or any, anything having to do with that realm, you, no pictures allowed. But he said, well, I'll ask the guys, and then if they're willing to take a picture, then, you know, it's, it's their choice. And after the meal, he, he gave the option after they heard the sermon, and it was just like almost to a man. All Automatically, those guys got up and went by the wall trying to squeeze into the picture. But we had no idea that it would go over in the way that it did. And if you are friends or if you have liked the Franklin, Franklin County Sheriff's Office page, it's on there. People are leaving comments like crazy. I'll, lead, I'll read a few of those here in just a moment. But something that I, I just want to do for all of those involved. And this, this is, if you're new with us, this is the kind of church that Rocky Mount Baptist Church is. Uh, we're kind of weird because I, I, hear, I hear from a lot of pastors, they can't get anybody to do anything. And we had so many people come out in support saying, I want to be involved. Talking to Fred and, and Helene and Deborah, they're like, We've got so many already, so I know there are some of you that were wanting to be involved, but it's like we're not going to be able to fit everybody in. And Fred's like, relocate, build a new building. I'm like, hold on there, Hoss. Easy killer. But uh, we can go to two services. That's cool. You know, best use of the Lord's money. But, but it was great because so many of y'all pitched in. And these guys, when they walked in, you could tell they're like, what is going on? I mean, I'm doing time. And I get in the van, not going to go to the van down by the river, to quote the great philosopher Matt Foley, but we're going in the van down to the church, and they're walking in, and they're just a little bit apprehensive, and y'all just like, hey, welcome. And when they realized what it was, they were absolutely blown away. And jail ministry yesterday was standing room only. Amen. Praise to the Lord. Because it's not about us, it's about him. And I told Ben when we got there, I said, I just heard, you know, the rumors, we got a lot more guys now interested in coming to jail ministry because they're like, who feeds inmates? Like, who who does that? Like, now we know where they live. Like, you know, where, where they worship, where their stuff is. But this isn't an important. It's important as people. So I told Ben, I said, you know, we may not have enough, enough 
chairs. You may have to just stand up and go at it. I'll tell you what, Ben, I don't, even embarrass, I don't want to embarrass you, but we'll do it anyway. He stood up there, man, with an open Bible, no notes, walked through Proverbs chapter 11, verse by verse, having discussion, confession. It was awesome. Lee closed us out with an awesome prayer. And just to, just to note, I know usually people say, what are you going to do on Saturday afternoon? I'm going to watch the football game. What are you going to do? I'm going to clean out my garage. What are you going to do? I'm going to jail. For real? So here's the thing. If there's any of you guys that you're like, man, I, I, you know, it's not usually my idea of a fun Saturday. I guarantee you, if you just come try it out for one hour, 3.30 to 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon, there's a no commitment thing here. We're cool. You know, just to come check it out. You will be so incredibly blessed. We, I won't embarrass you like I just did, Ben. You can sit there. You can talk to the guys. You can just observe. It is an awesome, awesome thing because what we want to see is a Franklin County jail. People don't just get jailhouse religion. They're guys who have been brought low by their own choices. They're being humbled before society and we want to bring the gospel in there. But let me give you a few of these um, comments from a lot of people. I, I have no idea who these people are. I don't know if they're stalkers or what. Hopefully not uh, after... Um, one comment, hopefully many other church groups will copy your loving and caring example. Another person said, this is so awesome to hear what you all are doing for others. Hope you all make it a tradition and continue God's work. That'd be okay tradition, right? Another comment, James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us to put our faith into action. James 2, for you Bible scholars. I truly believe that your ministry has done this. What a great way to witness for Christ. Another comment. That was a wonderful way to show what Christian people really should do. Very proud of you. And then there's so many on, on the sheriff's site. Um, let me just just grab one. This this basically says it. Go, I'll let you go read it on your on your own time. This says that's awesome. Good job, RMBC. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Praise to the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I don't know what the future holds, okay? And if you ever go to people who do think that they know the future and you pay the little fee online and they tell you something like, something big is coming into your future. And you're like, really? (laughs) And people get off the phone, they say, they told my, I had a car, really? Like, that's called checking your brain at the door, all right? But none of us know exactly what the future holds. But I truly believe that if we stay faithful, not to present ourselves or say, hey, look, what are y'all doing? Y'all aren't feeding them, mates. Look, at, no, no, no. Nothing having to do with that at all. No self-advancement. No look at me. No look at us. But if we just stay faithful and stay humble before Jesus and simply do what he's told us to do, he'll empower us. To be able to do what he said to do. And you know what happens a lot of times when a church stays on mission? They don't have time to complain and to backbite and to grumble and to have church drama. You know what I'm talking about? If we stay on focus and we stay on target to reach out to hurting people. The man yesterday and and he told me that he had been involved uh, in the occult. And I saw and we're not picking on tattoos. But he was there, and man, this, this brother, I mean, he had, he, he was tatted the full sleeve and some. And he was sitting there holding an open Bible, right? And he's got a pentagram tattooed right here, satanic symbol. 
And he says, I've been involved in the occult. He says, but we were just totally blown away by what you guys did the other night. I want to come here and learn. And I thought, and he read from Romans chapter 8. And I thought, you know what? That's the power of God to say. It doesn't matter a hill of beans what you have tattooed on your body. The question is, is who is in control and Lord of your heart? And Jesus can clean the inside. Doesn't matter what we have on the outside, whether you're pro tattoo, whether you're anti tattoo, whether you're for long hair, whether you're for facial hair, whether you're for your pastor no longer looking homeless once he kills a deer, he'll shave it off. Maybe I don't know. But I praise God for you. There's one note that I saw from from a grandmother who knows the mother of one of the inmates, and he said that when I get out of jail, I'm going to come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. So let me just give all of y'all a heads up. What would you do? And I'm going to talk, I'm going to, talk to the family here, all right? Rocky Mount Baptist Church members. What will you do if God so gives us the blessing for some of these men who are finishing out their time that if they truly meet Jesus... In jail. And they truly get... No, no, not just jailhouse religion. Okay? They truly get saved and they say, I'm committing to plugging into a gospel preaching church. I'm going to humble myself before my family and begin to lead as a man who comes, brings them to Sunday school, comes to church, ready to plug in. What if they come? There we go. Amen. So if you're a guest with us, that's what we have to be about. Because if we're no longer about that, or for people who may not be like us or come from a different background, then it's no longer a church, it's a C-L-U-B. So that's just a heads up. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have a one come. But it may be we have a lot of them come. And then they bring their families and then they bring their friends. And we have a, I guess we could say, a socioeconomic mixed group at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Okay? And that's good. That's a good thing. But once you start penetrating the area of society to where men repeatedly go back to jail, repeatedly go back to jail, because they don't know any other way, they don't have any other friends, any other options, you're going to have ministry. And guess what? That's why Jesus put us here. To plant, to water, to fertilize with love, humility, and grace. So thank you for letting God work His grace through you. So when we're speaking of doing things out of the box, let's talk about all good people go to hell. I'm serious. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish or to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly or verily, in the King James, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot, which those are small little symbols in the language there, will pass from the law until all is accomplished or fulfilled. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called what? Least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them 
and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, this is where we're going to hone in on today. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness or your goodness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At our state conference the other week, we had some incredible preaching. And one of the pastors was Don Wilton from South Carolina. And he's actually Billy Graham's pastor. Wouldn't you like that job? You know, how about making that house visit? Like just to go check in on one of your members. And then advise Billy Graham. But Billy Graham made a statement decades ago that he believes that 50% of church members in the United States of America are actually lost. That means that they've never truly been born again. It means that they think that they have been saved. It means that they think that they have been rescued from going to hell. And they think that they're on their way to heaven. But Billy Graham said, in my estimation, 50% are lost. And Don Wilton asked Billy Graham this question just a number of months ago. And he said, do you still believe that it's 50%? And Dr. Graham says, no, I believe that the number is much higher now. Now, God has been incredibly gracious to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Talking to one of our, our dear members a while back, and, and she said, when I come in on Sunday, I don't recognize, I don't know everybody anymore, and, and that's a good thing. But I've just been asking myself the question. Now, if you're selfish, you'll want to make sure that it stays small to be around you. Y'all okay? It's not about people getting to know us, it's about people getting to know Jesus. But, but she said, I, I was asking myself the question, where did all these, where have all these people been? But then she said something incredibly profound. She says, that's not the right question. The real question is, where have we been? We have a church of new believers. We have a church for people who have been here for years and decades. We have people more than likely that this may be your first time in church. I mean, we, we just don't know. There's not enough time to go do a survey. But something that I fear as God has, has brought us more people. That it very well could be we have a lot of good people. And that when you are asked the question, do you know for sure if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? You have this type of answer. Well, I think that I would go to heaven. And someone may ask you, well, why is that? You say, well, I hope I would go to heaven. You say, well, why do you think that? Well, you see, Jeff, it's because I'm a good person. Good people go to hell because good people worship and focus upon and trust in their own goodness and not Jesus. That's the main thought of this message. Let it sink in from the start. Good people go to hell because they remain in their sins. They are trusting in the false Messiah of self, self-effort, self-improvement, behavior modification, and they refuse to admit that they're not good enough. They're worshiping the idol of me. And we have people 
all over America. They are so nice. They will jump your car. They pay their taxes. They will help clean up an aisle spill when they don't even work at the store. They refrain from shooting people who cut them off in traffic. Can I get a witness? Right? When you're over in the, in the, the Roanoke area. I mean, they're, they're nice people. But at the end of the day, they're trusting in themselves. And here's how we see that shake down in the local church. We see it like this. Where people say, you know what, man? I, 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 know, I know. I should be in church. I get that. When I stay out of church or I've been out of church for a long time, I feel guilty. I feel, I feel awkward to come back to church. And you know, what I need to do, I've got some type of like this guilt. I don't know where it comes from that I should be in church. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to get involved in church, but then Listen, if that's you and you don't humble yourself before God and admit that you are not good, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus says you combine in verse 20, the scribes and the Pharisees. That means those who had memorized almost like the, the Old Testament. I mean, some of us, we say, do you know a Bible verse? And we say, John 3.16, for God so loved, uh, uh, give me, get, get, give me, a, give me a call. No, they, they memorized books upon books. And the Pharisees were so hardcore, they even created their own rules. Like some people in church. Y'all okay? Make a mountain out of a molehill when Jesus never mentioned it. Right? Because we all know that Jesus was clean shaven. Right? We know that. Amen? We all know that he slept in a suit. Right? We all know that Jesus listened to classical music and only classical music only. And nothing with a beat. If you're new to this, all of that is totally wrong. I'm just, I'm just messing with the church people here. Alright? But what can happen is that we become blinded and we become deaf to our own narcissism whenever we are confronted. And it is that, if you're not used to it, it's that guilty feeling that starts from the bottom of your heart when you, sometimes when people, they even see a steeple, like anything having to do with the Lord, they begin to have that feeling of guilt. And then when they come in, they're like, all right, I'm in, I'm seated, okay, If I just hold the bulletin this way and look straight ahead and avoid eye contact, I can get out of here without any of those church people being like, hey, do you love Jesus? Right? We don't do that. We don't want to make the gospel something that it's not. And that is socially awkward. The only thing we want to be awkward is the feeling that we get. The, the uncomfortability, the insecurity that we feel when we realize that we have been wrong and God is right and He's calling us to simply agree and repent. So here may be a question in our society today. Our society is increasingly secular. Have you noticed that? Increasingly to where things of the Bible and mentions of Jesus, especially you can talk about God. You know, people say, well, what, whatever that is, but you can't talk of Jesus in the public square today. So we have this increasingly secularized culture. So I don't want to assume anything. Let's just ask this question. Why do I need to be saved? You need to be saved because all of us were born in sin. That means that you and I, every single person, was not born a good person in the eyes of God. If you want an example of how we are born selfish, just visit our nursery. 
You're like, my kid's back there. Your kid's perfect. We know. All right. But all the other ones, all the other people's kids. We're born selfish. We're born with a desire to get and not give. And not only are we sinners by nature, but we're sinners by choice because we just stink and want to do what we want to do. And not only that, we need to be saved from ourselves, but what do we need to be saved from? Here's something that pastors, there's a lot that are very faithful, but many do not mention because they don't want to lose people. We love you. Jesus loves you. But there is something that the Bible speaks of time and time again, and it's called the wrath of God. And it's not a hot tamale sauce. It's a reality. It is God's righteous because he's good, because he's holy, because he loves everything that is good, because he wants what is best. God's wrath, his righteous good anger has been and will be poured out on all of those who do not come to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. The wrath of God is coming. Jesus is coming back. Whether that happens in our lifetime or whether we die before that happens, you and I will face God. Every All of these hobbies that I enjoy, one day will not be possible. In a physical way. Until Jesus fixes everything and we can get into eschatology at another time. But the fact of the matter is is that you and I, our deer hunting will be stripped away. Our shopping, for those of you brave souls that are going to learn jiu-jitsu between now and Friday on Black Friday. All of our, our family gatherings, all of our celebrations, our cars, our homes that we love, the things that we love to do to go fishing. All of those things will be stripped away and we'll be standing before the God of the universe and give an account of our life. And if your answer this morning is that you would get in because you would look up at God, the creator and the sustainer of everything, and say, I'm a good person, that is blasphemy of the highest order. It is evidence that you are on your way to hell right now. Say, Jeff, man, what are you mad at? I'm concerned. So what if God brings us people, but we don't tell them the truth? The Bible says, if you're taking notes in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That way that seems right to a man or a woman in 21st century America, especially the South, is this. I went to church as a kid. I walked down the aisle. I got, quote unquote, saved. I got baptized. I got sprinkled. But then I went out and lived like a hellion from when I was a teenager all the way until now. And there's never been an evidence that God had truly entered your life. And you're holding on to your own goodness and your own experience at a time in the past. You don't forgive people. You don't have a desire for God's word. It has to do everything for the people that you know just to drag you here on a Sunday morning because you don't know God. But that's the reason why Christ came to bring light into darkness. Now, Back in verse 17, Jesus is trying to correct a misunderstanding. Jesus is rocking the first century Palestinian world. 
If you are taking notes, just back a a few verses in the end of chapter 4, Jesus is is literally going through all of Galilee there in verse 23, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and people begin to come from everywhere. It says in verse 24, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought in this all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, so forth and so on. And Jesus had this massive group. They were like, I don't know, they were like Jesus groupies. Minus the immorality and illicit drug use. Like they were the people who followed Jesus from Decapolis. That was a Gentile area. So here's Jesus. He's big on the scene. He's new on the scene. And people are trying to figure out. People are crossing geographical boundaries and cultural boundaries. Thinking, who is this man from Nazareth? And Jesus is saying, just just to listen. Verse 17. Don't think that I'm here To destroy the Old Testament. I am not here to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And may God help those of us who have been saved and we have a low view of the Old Testament. This is all one gospel. He said, Jeff, sometimes it's hard reading the Old Testament. Especially if you've gotten through the book of Numbers. You're like, if ever I read a book in my life that was aptly, correctly named, it's the book of Numbers. Because it's the book of Numbers. And what do you find when you get into it? Numbers. So sometimes people get frustrated. It's it's like, already told you? Before you read the book. Sometimes we can go to the Old Testament and be like, I have no idea. Here's one way that when you read the Old Testament to interpret it through the lenses of Jesus. When Jesus speaks of the law and the prophets, he's referring to the moral demands of the Old Testament prophets and of the Ten Commandments. And to read the Bible correctly is to see Jesus in the Old Testament. For example, when we look at the story of David and Goliath, the point of that story is not that you're David and you're conquering the Goliaths in your life. But the point is that David was a type of Savior and that Jesus is the greater David, you see. When we look at the story of Moses leading the people out of slavery, Moses is a type of Christ. He is a picture of, a shadow of Jesus who would come and lead his people out of slavery. So when you look at the Old Testament and you find some incredible characters which I think you could be, make the greatest movies ever made if you just take the Old Testament narratives. Amen? I mean, it'd be so cool. Especially David and his mighty men. For those of you guys that like shoot em up movies, this would be a cut em up movie. I mean, it would be absolutely awesome. Scare some of you. I'll, I'll stop. I, here's the thing. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we want to interpret it through a correct, a proper 21st century middle class American lens. And the Bible is very, very honest. Much more than some of us would presume to be. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, in verse 44 through 47, this is Jesus. And he is explaining from the law and the prophets and the Psalms all that must be fulfilled. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead and the disciples still don't get it. Jesus is saying, look, when you read the Old Testament, it's talking about me. Jesus didn't come on the scene to gut everything. Jesus came on the scene to fulfill everything. You see, now Jeff, now what is the point of the Old Testament law? Very clearly, love God with everything you are and everything you have and love other people like you love yourself. 
So what does it mean to fulfill the law and the prophets? It means to fulfill all of the moral demands of God's word. Those things that we read this morning, I was reading, I believe it's Psalm 124. And it says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And the Jews would have understood that when they were walking up to Jerusalem. It was like a city on a hill, literally. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Anybody here have clean hands? Anybody here have a pure heart? Not a, not a heart that's, you know, well, well, Jesus. No, like a pure heart. No one can have that but Christ until Christ comes into their life. You say, now, Jeff, you told us at the beginning of this message that all good people go to hell. What in the world do you mean by that? What I mean is that Jesus is getting to the point of verse 20, that even the best people in the world are not good enough. And if you think that you will enter heaven based upon your own goodness, you're thoroughly, thoroughly wrong. Some people say, no, wait wait a second, Jeff. I believe in God. Well, the Bible says, not what Jeff says, but the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the demons believe that God is one and they tremble. So if your argument, if your answer is, well, I think I'd go to heaven. I'm pretty sure I'd go to heaven because I believe in God. The Bible says you're an upstanding demon. You see, the Bible is so not user friendly. And maybe that's because there's something in our life that needs to be removed and eradicated. And it's called sin. And only Jesus can do that. So when we say, I believe in God, therefore... I'm ready to go into heaven. What you're basically saying is, duh. If the demons believe it, and I mean, really? Like, I know atheists, and I I, I love atheists. I'm serious. We, we want to answer people's questions, but in all seriousness, with what we know today of, of, of tech, I mean, biology and cosmology, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look and be like, design? Designer. Durr. But yet for some of us, that may be our answer for why we think we would get in. The Bible says demons won't get in and neither will you if you simply believe that God exists. Another, another question is say, well, Jeff, I'm good enough. Well, the question from the Bible is by whose standard are you good enough? You see, other people will, and this is, this is human nature, we create our own standards of morality. Usually when we say, I'm a good person, we're thinking of other people. Think of it like this. You say, well, Jeff, I'm a good person. I could have come and helped out with that meal. But I'm not the one behind bars. You know what the guys inside there will say? I was involved in drugs, but I never stole someone's car. You know what happens when you talk to the guys who are involved in Grand Theft Auto? They say, well, at least I never, I never hurt anybody physically. You talk to the guys who have or a man who's taken another man's life, he'll say something to the effect of, well, at least I'm not a child molester, right? You talk to a child molester, say, well, at least I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. You talk to someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, 
Someone who's who's down in the pits. If you talk, were able to talk to Adolf Hitler, they would conceive, they could conceive of someone who would be worse than them to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as I could be. So the logic, go with me, church, the logic of saying, I will get in because I'm good enough, totally self-destructs. Because the end result is Hitler saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And it is an act of blasphemy before God to say, I am good enough to meet you on your own standards. Some people say, well, Jeff, you don't understand. I, 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 can, I can do better. Better than whom, Jesus? This is usually where it ends for us here in the South. When people are confronted with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, they say, well, now, Jeff, I know I've lived. I know I've not done the right thing. I know I have this guilt. I know I need to be changed. But I can just start doing better. What you're saying is, Jesus, you didn't do good enough. I can top you. You say, well, hold on. I'm not saying that, Jeff. All that I'm saying is I can do better. You can never do better than the best. And only Jesus has that title. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, once again, Jesus drops the bomb on all these people when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds, goes over, far blows away, the most religious-minded, servant-minded, God thinking about people on the planet, you still come up short. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to wager my eternal destiny on whether I can do good enough. Think about that. Have you ever been wrong in your life before? If we're being honest, all of us have. Wouldn't that be a sad thing? And by the way, since the jail ministry thing is still fresh on our minds, all of us are going to do time. All of us are going to do a lot of stinking time. Like forever and ever in heaven or in hell. The Bible doesn't support or talk about purgatory. It's going to be with God and His presence in heaven. You say, no, Jeff, that's it, that's it. God is a forgiving God. Yes, He is. And His forgiveness is only found through Jesus. And it's only received from Jesus by you realizing that you can't do anything outside of Jesus, you see. You cannot come to Jesus and say, let me help you out. If you can change this part of me, I'll change this part of me. That is totally saturated in human pride and God will have none of it. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, trying to trust Jesus to save us while still trusting in ourselves is kind of like, I was thinking like, how, how can I explain this? It's like trying to hang on to a helicopter that's taking off while with the other hand holding to a sinking ship. Jesus is the helicopter to rescue us from hell. And that sinking ship is our ability, our human ability to correct and change ourselves. You say, now Jeff, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is has Christ changed your life? Getting saved is not a matter of when you lay down on your pillow at night and you say, God, my bad today. Sorry. I know that was bad. Getting saved, transfer of ownership from your life to Christ is when you give everything you are 
to Jesus. You know, Jeff, this, I was not expecting this. I was expecting a happy Thanksgiving message where we could talk about turkey and whatever else we eat. You know, and just a, if this is an uplifting time of year, listen, hell is real. Okay? And even people who try to take the fangs out of hell and say that it's not real, and they say that it's a metaphor for the grave, even if that's true, Jesus is giving it to say hell is so horrible The only way I can express it to you is in terms of blackness and fire and darkness forever and ever. And I heard one evangelist say when I was a younger preacher, he said that most people in hell, at least from the U.S., were going to get saved. They just said, I'll get saved next week. I'll get saved tomorrow. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 57 in verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and a lowly spirit to revive or to give life to the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of Of the contrite. Today is an opportunity. If you've been trusting in yourself. To trust in Jesus. And turn away from your sin. And place your faith in him. Because once again. Good people. People who in their own estimation. The reason why they go to hell. Is because they are worshipping their own goodness. And refuse to admit their own badness. And trust only in the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus. 